we're going to go live. All right. Thank you for all you folks that are watching online tonight. Uh, it's our Sunday night. Uh, it's not our small group, really, but I'm breaking the rules and I'm doing it from up here because I was too lazy to set up all the chairs around where Pastor Danny does. No, it really was not that. It really was all the people here. They outvoted me and they said, we want to sit in the pews because we like the orange pews. And uh, so I'm good. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm good with that. But um, it's it's been a little strange. Early in my first ministry, I, I used to do five or six preps a week to teach or preach five or six times a week. And yeah, I, you know, you're young and I was that in the independent Baptist world, that's just how you do it. Um, and I don't think it was really full of a lot of wisdom. Um, it's very difficult to effectively write that much week in and week out. I think what was Jen, I was there, what, seven years or so, eight years doing that? I, I, wow. So when I came here, one of the things I fi had figured out was, you know, the church doesn't need to hear from just one voice. Sometimes it's good to, you know, and God gifts other men in the church to have the gift of teaching and the love of scriptures. And uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, been reminded this last couple of weeks where I've been doing at least three preps every week um, and then we had the big outreach last week or you know with the track and treat in terms of the prep and you know there's a, been a lot going on so uh, just reminded me that I don't I don't miss that I don't I don't I don't I don't miss that so but so you I guess I'm asking for a little bit of grace all right tonight you know uh, I'm excited about what we're doing it was kind of interesting that I really felt impressed we should do uh, this series that we've entitled traits of a godly family and, you know, I, I really thought, oh, well, you know, these young, there's young couples and all that. And, you know, some young couples, there are some young couples here. I mean, Jerry and Dorothy are here. There's some young couples here. And um, <laughs> Jerry, did you hear that right, Jerry? Did you hear that? <laughs> uh, but, you know, <clears throat> but mine is not to question why, you know, mine is but to do or die. You know, I, this is what I knew the Lord would teach, uh, me to teach. And it is, as I showed you last week, really my my heartbeat, what I love to teach about, what I love to interact with is the, the family. And so we started a series and really there's seven points <clears throat> and we're on point number two. And that's since Pastor Danny comes back next week, I guess we'll pick it up <laughs> some other time. But, but uh, I think we ought to do, a, a, if I can think out loud and listen to everybody online, you know, I think we ought to do one of these things. We do a Friday night or something, uh, show a family, some kind of a, a, a I don't want to call it a, a movie, uh, like whether do uh, Mark Gunger or somebody like that, and do a try to reach as an outreach kind of thing. But we'll we'll see what happens. At any rate, tonight we're going to move on. Last week at Traits of a Godly Family, we looked at trait number one, which we saw was a was a correct priority structure. That if you want to have a godly family, or it begins with each individual person inside that family having a correct priority structure. And I got to tell you, that sounds simplistic, but it is hard in this life maintaining and deciding what is really important, what has to come and what has to go. And we saw last week that the biblical structure is God first, your personal walk with God, then your family, then your church, and then your personal issues that all of us kind of, you know, vary. Um, and we talked about that last week and hope it was a blessing to you. And then we began number two and today we're just going to continue on in number two, and I think I'm just going to stop with the end of number two, and if it takes us 20 minutes, it takes us 20 minutes, it takes us the next 40,
40, you know, we'll, we'll stop at our normal time, but it depends on how much you all want to partici participate. But last week we saw point number two of a trait of a godly family is a balance of grace and truth. We saw John chapter 1 says that Jesus was, uh, when he came and was incarnate in flesh, the Bible says in John chapter 1 that he was full of grace and truth. And then we saw in the Old Testament, God the Father in, in, the, uh, in, the, in being represented in his holiness by the Ark of the Covenant was two pieces, one that was the bottom of the square that contained things that, that were more truth-oriented. But then on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat showing about uh, grace. And so we see that God is grace and truth. And as we talked last week, we began, um, I, I, I want to bring you back up to speed or begin our discussion again tonight with this uh, reminder that it doesn't matter what kind of things are going on in your life, that balance is always essential to the godly life. Balance is always essential. And again, it is difficult to keep balance. By definition, you know, I always think about those guys who go across on the high wire, you know, those idiots <laughs> string the wire across to uh, like in New York City or something, they string it and they, you know, they, they sneak up there and they walk around and I think they, they, those, those people have lost their mind. But when, when you're keeping balance, by definition, you're making a lot of minute adjustments. And if you get out of balance, we all know what happens, you know, you're going to fall. Um, and, and how is it that we arrive in our own lives with the, the, the balance or lack thereof, should I say, that all of us have? I mean, I think of it as, is there anybody else throughout human history or anyone in human history that was perfectly, fully balanced of grace and truth? Now, I think that's one of the things that separates Christ from any other religious figure the world would ever see, uh, is that he alone demonstrated both complete truth and complete grace. We all struggle with it. Now, as we grow from childhood into adulthood and developing this, this balance, the first thing that comes into play in how we are imbalanced and how we need to work to be balanced is how do we view God? You ever not thought about that, the, the differences in how people view God? If we were to go around in this community and talk to people, there, we'd get a variety of answers, wouldn't we? Even if I were to go inside the church, I think we'd get a variety of answers. So uh, my first question tonight is, what do you think it is that is most impactful on our view of God as we go into adulthood? What, what do you think impacts that, it helps form it? Anybody? Bill? Um, I would say the way we interact with our fathers or the lack thereof. Oh. Okay, Bill says how we would interact with our fathers or some cases a lack thereof. I saw another hand back here. Was that you, Jim? I don't know. Oh, was, yeah, Jerry? Through your parents or just individually you're talking? Okay, seeing that God, okay. Okay. And that impacted the way your, your view of God. That's, that's good. Anybody else? Yeah, Taylor? Very good. Um, I wish I could repeat that completely because that's good stuff, Taylor. Well, if you were here, you would have heard that. But um, basically, you know, transitioning from a young person into adulthood is at some point transitioning 
from being in the home maybe of a, of a godly family um, uh, to, to you being your own walk with God. And that has to, you know, at some point if that doesn't occur, that, that is obviously will destroy the faith, your faith, individual faith. Um, there, there's a, a famous study, remember when I was in, uh, I think it, I'm going to mention this a couple times tonight because I had to take a couple psych classes. And I don't know if they still have them at Pensacola, but it was family psychology or something like that. I can't remember the title of the class, but they, they, there was a study that was done and basically most people, the way they view God in their own life was most affected by their parents. In other words, how did their parents view God and then act in accordance to that? Uh, how they related and how they were... You ever, you ever know when you grow, when you're a kid, especially when you're teenager years, and you look at your mom and dad and you say, you know how I would do it different? <laughs> you say, my mom and dad, you know, what were they thinking? Anybody else, you know, why, why did they do it this way? And then if you ever get to the point in your life where you have your own children, then you start thinking, man, my mom and dad were really smart, you know. Um, but sometimes, obviously, we all grew up with different home lives, but um, there is no perfect parents. You know, sometimes parents, we're really hard on ourselves. And I know we got a lot of young families in our church, and I, you know, I always want to be encouraging to them because parenting is hard. It, it, it's a, it, it takes consistency and staying at it. And, and sometimes well, I am just, you know, ep epic failing. And, and my dad, see, I'm going to work my dad in, Jenny. My dad would always say, you know, you're going to lose some battles. It's just important you don't lose the war. And then I would call him. That's what he would tell me. You know, in parenting, if you think you're going to win every single battle, well, I'd like to know. Is there any parents in your night think you won every single battle with your kids? Now, maybe if your child's only... I don't know, six hours old, maybe. But by the time, I don't know, when, I don't know where he is. You lose that first battle, probably about the time they're, I don't know, a few months old, and they, you know they're just being fussy to be fussy, and you, you know, there they go, and the battle's on. But um, sometimes we grow, when we grow up in these homes, the, the studies show that we generally follow in their path. That's the general approach, that if your parents we're really imbalanced in when it comes to truth and grace. And as you think of your parents, if you were fortunate enough to have a two-parent home, were your parents truth or grace oriented? You probably go down that path. Now, the thing the study found that was interesting is that if you grew up in a home where your parent was excessively unbalanced, if you grew up in a home that there was it was very permissive and you could do whatever you wanted to do or you grew up in a home where it was just rules all the time. Then the study showed more often than not the, the adult would reject that approach and would end up adopting the strong traits of the other approach. They would, they would end up being like their parent in that they were vastly over unbalanced but they would do the opposite side because, they, you know, I mean, I, I've heard it many times, you know, hey, my, my parents and I am never going to do it this way. No, I know my own daughter says that, so I guess there are areas we were imbalanced in, but uh, I'll let her speak for herself on that one. Um, but do you see how that would affect the way we view God? If, if you had a really rules-oriented, truth-oriented parent 
and that's how you view God, how, how does that affect the way you live and the way you parent, the way you walk with God? Anybody? Let's just go either way. If your parent was really grace-oriented and they were really, really 90% grace or they were 90% truth, if you grew up in one of those or even if you didn't, how do you think that would affect our relationship with God? Anybody? Yeah, Bill? I would say there's more rule in that you might view God as being a, a harsh taskmaster. Uh, He's going to match you the first time you do something wrong. Yep. Or, or kind of lordship. Yeah. 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 Maybe I didn't even think of it to that extent, but you're probably right. Theologically, it probably brings that into play. Bill said if you know if you, you grew up in a really harsh environment and that's how you view God, you're gonna tend to view God as even when you're in your adult years, starting to think that no matter what, if you make a mistake, that God's just waiting up there to stomp on you. God's just waiting up there to tell you <laughs> to tell you how you messed up. Um, and then when you become a parent, guess what you do? You you start the the, the process just goes on. But remember that God is not defined by your past or even by your experiences. You know, sometimes as a, Christ, as a spiritual leader, I have people come to me and they'll say, but I had this experience. Well, what you had was an experience. It may or may not have been consistent with what is real truth. I know a lot of people, so I had this and I had that, and, and because of it, I'm acting in this certain way. It doesn't make it right. And it all really comes back down to who God is, and God is not defined by our past or by our life experiences, but God is defined by what the Word of God says. God defines himself, does he not? I think he does. I'll have to answer myself tonight since I don't have, I don't even have my vocal people in here tonight. You know, the quiet people are in here. All the loud people are back there. Um, yeah, well, except Jennifer. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, hon. Except with you exempted. Um, and I appreciate you being here. Jenny brought pie. Just Pastor Danny, Rebecca, just so you know. Hot, warm pie. Was the pie good? It was good. Okay, we're getting a balance of grace and truth here. Right, Daniel? Right, right. You know. Um, yeah, ask Oscar. Yeah, he's still got food in his mouth. Oscar ate one piece and he went back and said, well, if nobody else is going to eat this, I hate to see it go to waste. Um, so everybody, Oscar's family is going to be driving home tonight. How did everybody do at church tonight? And the kids are going, oh, we had fun in Awana. We had a piece of candy. And Oscar's going, oh, man, you guys are wasting your time. I had a whole pie. I ate the whole apple pie. Um, is it apple? Did you make an apple pie? What did you make? Cherry, Cherry and I didn't. Cherry and apple. Okay, all good. Back to, back to grace and truth. Basically, we grow up through our family, and a lot of times we're very much influenced by, by our parents, and we come to this vision of God that oftentimes is unbalanced, and then that permeates into our personal life, and then if you're a parent, tends to permeate down into your children. Um, the, the thing about God, just as Jesus Christ is perfectly grace and truth, and think about this, that, that God will never sacrifice grace for truth or truth for grace. He also, as God, is always that perfect balance. And each of us are created uniquely, but um, our, our personality is balanced. 
Are you a balanced, perfectly balanced individual? Not only in grace and truth, but in, in total. No, we all tend to, tend to have these issues in our, in our personality. And um, in, our, in our, the, the, one of the books I read uh, prepping for this, they were talking about that one of the good things to do, I think, is to understand how God made you who you are with the personality that God gave you so you can respond to people with a, a balance of grace and truth. Um, anybody ever heard of, uh, was it Transforming Temperaments by Tim LaHaye? Wasn't it Tim LaHaye that wrote that book years ago? Anybody know that book or am I, you know, Jim, you've heard that one. It was a bestseller back in the day. And they're, they're, the, 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 and it, this goes back a long time. I think this goes back to, I don't know, way, way long time ago, predates the founding of our country for sure. But at any rate, there's four different types of personality traits or temperaments. Anybody remember what those are, any of those four traits? No? No, if you're watching online, can you please type something, you know? Um, anybody heard of choleric temperament? You're, you're a choleric or you're a melancholy, you're sanguine, or phlegmatic, which is a big word that I have no idea why they use it, but that's what they call it. Um, and it goes back to Latin or Greek or something. Um, anybody heard those four temperaments? Some have, some haven't. Okay, l let, me, let me simplify it and put it right down because, you know, I appreciate when authors do it. I think it was Tim LaHaye again that came up with this. They're going to give him credit. But basically, they, they chose an animal that typically uh, typifies that personality. A choleric personality they chose as a lion. A melancholy personality is a beaver. A sanguine personality is an otter. And a phlegmatic personality is like a golden retriever. Now, if I tell you those things, and I were to say to you, boy, this is really getting psychobabble tonight, isn't it? You know, if I hold up a picture, what do you see? Um, if, if, if I said to you, your personality, do you think you're a lion, a beaver, an otter, or a golden retriever? He said, I don't know, it depends on the golden retriever. I had one that was really nice and one that would bite you if you looked at it, you know. Um, in generalities, when you think of a lion, what do you think of? Anybody? Brave. Brave. Um, scary. scary. <laughs> Eat you alive. Eat you alive. <laughs> These are all really good definitions, really. Uh, this is odd Baptist definitions. Um, uh, LaHaye defines a lion, a choleric personality, as somebody who's confident, decisive, opinionated, and makes a really good leader. Um, anytime I take personality tests, and you can take these to figure these out, I almost always come out as a dominant choleric personality. I know, surprise, surprise, that, you know, that, that, that that's generally where I come out. Um, a beaver is a melancholy, and if you're a melancholy personality, you're very organized, you're methodical, systematic, they make really good administrators. I don't know this, but I would guess Pastor Danny probably has a lot of beaver in him. Um, I, I would guess. An otter personality, the sanguine, um, this is my secondary trait. You know, whenever I take these, usually you have a dominant and a secondary. My second is an otter, and that mean, that personality type is the fun, personable, spontaneous, makes a good salesperson or a public relations representative. You know, the otter, when you think of an otter, an otter has never met a pool of water that it hasn't enjoyed to the fullest. You know, I mean, if you go to the zoo, 
you know, but can I go on a little diatribe here? You, I love the Montgomery Zoo here. We have a, I like our zoo. Did you all notice how they took the otter? You used to have that bridge, you go over the otter and you can see the otters down there and you can watch them fromp around. Now they put a dead end on it. You can't go over the bridge anymore. It dead ends at the edge where you can look down into the water there, but you can't see them like you used to. And that was one of my favorite displays and now I'm crying, you know, play my, play my there. Um, a golden retriever, somebody who's a phlegmatic one, is a stable, consistent, loyal, makes a really good friend or a trusted employee. And those four dominant personality, every one of us in your night probably identifies most dominantly with one of those. And uh, I don't know, you can, you can, you know, what's always interesting is to, to evaluate that yourself if, if, and say, well, I, you know, what, what personality type do you think I am? I, you know, I think I'm an otter. I think I'm fun and personable and whatever. And then, then go ask your family. <laughs> and see what they say. And uh, you might be surprised of how they perceive you as opposed to how you perceive yourself. And as I've mentioned, you can go take these things online. The problem is, if, if, if you don't stay balanced with grace and truth to any one of these personalities, they're all good traits. It, it's not that one's better than us, it's just how God made us. And we all tend to lean with one way. And I think you say, why is that important? Because when I came to understand my personality type, and there's several tests out there, I also like the culture index, which is more of a business one, but there's these personality ones that help you understand who you are as an individual. Well, it really helped me when I began to realize and have people tell me, hey, you're a dominant choleric and I began to realize if 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 I don't bring grace in because if you're a choleric personality we tend to err towards truth we, we like truth we just gonna say it because it needs to be said but a choleric that doesn't have grace becomes insensitive ever known anybody that just didn't care what you thought they just gonna run right over you and, and if I don't guard that, I understand the way God made me. There's some wonderful things about this personality trait, but there's also some bad side if you don't bring grace in. The other one that leans towards truth is not only the lion, but the beaver, the organized, methodical, systematic. Those are the kind of people that it needs to be done this way, this way, this way. I've got an organization for that. Do not mess up my organization. And if they don't bring grace in, they can become very legalistic. And if you understand that with all the gifts of the beaver, that you're this person, it's a wonderful gift. If you accept the fact, okay, this is how I made, I need to make sure I'm bringing grace into my relationships and I'm avoiding legalism. It, but if you're an otter, you know, which this likes in my second type, you know, hey, anytime I can get a couple people together and we can have a pate, I'm, I'm in for that. You know, what can we go do? Uh, they're, they're just very spontaneous. But if they don't bring truth in, they tend to, you know, like grace. They don't bring no truth. They're very shallow individuals. If you're a golden retriever and you're stable and you're consistent and you're loyal and you're a great friend, but if you don't bring truth in, what I've found in, with, with the phlegmatic personality is, is that if you don't bring the truth in, you can become an enabler. You, you, you want to be so loyal and you want that person to succeed so badly that you don't want to have to tell them the truth because you think it'll damage the relationship. And that is why I think it's important for us to, you say, why is this a big deal? It's a big deal because if you don't understand how God puts you together, how are you going to bring the, the balanced attributes in your life that you need to do? Because once you understand it, then you, you put yourself on alert or Better yet, you have a good friend or a spouse that says, hey, hun, I think you're bringing a little bit too much truth into this 
section or this relationship or, hey, hon, I think you need to bring a little more grace in. And that is why a healthy marriage is important or if you have good friends around you or a church family um, is saying, hey, you know, extreme truth can be harsh, demanding, perfectionistic, authoritarian, critical, legalistic. But if you're extremely grace-giving, you can be naive and no accountability, no discipline, permissive. It just, you know, just brings problems. You see how important that, that, that balance is. So grace and truth is so important, it's essential that you go through life that you and I make these adjustments. Now, with all that in mind, I really set all that up to, to do this last part of our lesson. To, all right, let's, let's put this right down and... And boy, oh boy, do I wish some of the information I'm about to spout out to you, I wish I'd have had a clearer understanding of this when I was a younger parent. Um, don't you wish you knew some of the things, you know, if you could kind of do it all over again? I'm Michelle, probably not. I know Taylor came out just perfect, but, uh, you know, <laughs> Taylor's gone. No, I don't think so. If you just could know. And a lot of times the information is out there and we just don't talk about it. I know sometimes people go, oh, I go to church. and These are all biblical principles I'm sharing with you tonight and it'll make a huge difference in your family. Um, these are not original to me, uh, so I'm not I don't take, that, I don't want to take credit for these, but if you have something, a place in your Bible, I'm going to give you the three R's of the successful family formula. Just like everything else in life, there's always a formula. Now, if you've been around here many years, I have presented these from the pulpit before in passing when I'm preaching on family issues and stuff because I think they're so on target. The three R's, if you will, of the successful family formula. And I think they're worth writing down, not because I said them because I didn't. They're not original to me. Number one, rules. Here's the mathematical equation. Rules plus relationship equals righteousness. Rules plus relationship equals righteousness. If as a basic standard in your family, if you're a parent and you bring your kids up and you have rules and you have relationship, th th that's your best you know, formula to have your children come out with righteous living. You get it? Rules plus relationship equals righteousness. Here's second rule. Rules minus relationship equals rebellion. You want to find a way to push your kid into rebellion, especially your teenager. Have a bunch of rules minus relationship. And a lot of parents want to well, do it because I said so. And, you know, there's all this authoritarianism and, you know, I'm the boss and you have to do what I say. And there's all the and there's no relationship. And when you have a bunch of rules minus the relationship, it will lead to rebellion. And by the way, the, I think these work pretty much even in our friendship relationships. I know some folks, they, they get into friendship relationships and they have all kinds of rules. If you're going to be their friend, this is, this is my expectations for you. And, and I'm going to tell you every time you fail in these areas. If you have not earned the right through relationship to give someone a dose of truth, my advice over and over again is to keep your mouth shut. And I have violated this myself, both in the ministry and in my family. If, if you've got extended family or you, is, you like me, have adult children, um, make sure that you have earned the right sometimes to share the truth. And, you know, if you have a new daughter-in-law or a brother-in-law or in-laws, <sighs> um, <laughs> 
I love your family, Jenny. My mother-in-law is wonderful. I never had to tell my mother-in-law nothing. Um, but if you don't have the relationship, it, it's, it's going to lead to this reaction that's going to push away. And then the third one, uh, first it's rules plus relationship equal righteousness. Number two, rules minus relationship equal rebellion. And then thirdly, relationship minus rules equals ruin. I remember when I was in high school, I used to be jealous of some of the high school kids that their, their parents were always the cool parents. Their parents were the ones who would let them have parties at their house. You know, I'd find out later, sometimes these parents were even letting them have alcohol, you know, underage drinking and stuff going on because, you know, you know I'm, <laughs> I remember one time, this is when I was an adult, I had a, when I was in ministry, I had a, a parent tell me that, oh, you, you might as well have them drink at your house so you know where they're drinking. And I kept going out, and then they said, <laughs> I wish I was making this up, but, you know, I'm just coming from a biblical standard of morality, um, which I, unfortunately, most pastors and churches are just afraid to take stands on. But this, this Christian parent told me, you know, I'm just, I provide my sons with condoms because I'd rather they were doing that because they're going to do it. I remember my wife and I were, you know, sometimes people say things to us, and we, just, we have no idea quite know how to respond, you know. My choleric side of me is wanting to very much come out and be very choleric, very lion-like, and say, you big dummy. Um, you know, no, I, I, I think our kids can do better than that. And boy, I, can you imagine that mindset? And I remember when I was a teenager and the kids that had parents like that. But as I got older, I saw that they, these parents, they, 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 did, they, they took their kids and they wanted them to be their best little buddies and all the way into, you know, be my best friend and all this. And there was no rules. And it always leads to ruin. And I guess my case in point for that is, you ever notice how when, when some child actor or child musician gets successful very young in their teenage years or something and they're multimillionaires and they have everything, whether it's Justin Bieber or you, they, they get, you know, uh, uh, Miley Cyrus comes to mind. I, I start naming them. They, they started out so wholesome. You say, what happened to them? Well, they got everything the world could offer them is what they got with no rules around them. Nobody could put any boundaries around them and, and it destroyed them. And in our families, these three rules, my life experience and biblical truth, they work. I remember in my psych class, there was a guy in the, one of our books, there was a study done by a guy named Joe White. I don't, I don't really know who he was. I guess he was a big-time teenage evangelist and ran camps up in Branson, Missouri area. And he did this for years with thousands and thousands of teenagers who would come through his camp. And he, he decided to do like a, a questionnaire with them. He wanted to understand how teenagers were thinking. And he asked teenagers what do you want most from your parents? Now, he didn't put this blunt answer I'm going to give you, but he put things that go along with it that identify this answer. But you know what the number one answer those kids said they wanted? Rules. I know people say, oh, I can't believe that's really... They do. They want someone to define parameters. And boy, it's hard to get that across to parents today. I know they're going to tell you they don't like it, but underneath it all, when you have no rules, you really tell them, I don't care what happens to you. Um, now, it was also interesting in that same study, the second, the number two answer 
was they wanted to be loved and accepted by their parents. So when you look at them back to back, they wanted truth and they wanted grace. Voila. And oftentimes, you know, I, I will tell you, you know, I thought I was, a, I don't know if I ever thought I was a good parent, hon, I don't know. But once teenagerhood hit, it just all went out the window, you know. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, um, apparently. But um, there was a phrase uh, that I, in my study, I came across the guy, a Christian author who was describing what a successful family is. And he said the successful family or the happy family is like a playground with a fence around it. Think about that. It's a playground with a fence around it. How do you think that demonstrates a happy family? Anybody? When you think of a playground, what's happening? Everybody's having a good time. Awesome. When you think of a fence, what do you think about that? Boundaries, safety. Um... I mean, if I could get across to sometimes, if I could go back, one of the things I would do differently, um, even though I am a lot of sanguine personality, I, the kids would tell you, if they wanted to goof around and have a good time, they came to me. Because if, if they had a really crazy idea, Jenny was like, no, 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 we can't do that. And I would go, wow, I wonder what would happen if we tried that. Uh, <laughs> that was the difference, you know. What if we get? What if we climb up on the roof and we throw these off from the roof? That's a good idea. Let's take the five-year-olds on the roof of the house, uh, two stories. Um, you know, um, grace and truth. Um, but you, you had better have. And if I could go back into time, especially when we got on like family vacations and stuff. We just sometimes as dads, especially if you're more of a truth person, we get so worked up. And we just take all the joy out of it. And if you want your kids to stay around and continue to come around after, when, as they get older, and I am blessed to have this blessing, you better have established that they view when they come to your place that it's a happy place that it's a playground. I remember several years ago now when uh, uh, Caleb and Oliver and Josiah, there was some hole in the back of our yard and they knew there was something living down in there and they were determined they were going to figure out what was in that thing. And the next thing I know, they've got a jug of gasoline and <laughs> Jenny's going, "Hun, do you think you should stop them? I said, no, I think I should go join them. I have no idea what they're doing, but I think we're about to start a fire. Um, <laughs> we, we, you, you know, even recently, you probably saw on Facebook, we, we have an, in our family, we have an annual pumpkin carving contest every year and it's just fun. Um, we have a Christmas cookie decorating contest, which is, you know, because in my family, in our family, it's kind of like, you know, no matter what you do, someone's going to say it's awful, you know, or they're going to make fun of it. That's, that's how you know if I care for, like, you know, I know I pick on DT a lot and people say, people think you probably really don't like that guy, you know. But if you really know me, if I pick on you, it's probably because I like you. And in our family, any other families like that, that y'all get together and just ham on each other just because that's fun and y'all know it's good? No, are we the only weirdos? No, come on, Heather, you got, you know, you got, you, your family do that. It's, it's like just a lot of truth doses coming in there. That's the worst looking cookie I've ever seen. I don't know. Um, now we, just, we just have fun. If you don't bring those things, 
It's a family of truth without grace is like a fence without a playground. It's like a fence without a playground. If you put your kids in an empty yard with just a fence around it and keep them locked in there till they're 18, what do you think their, their view of their, their family is? It, it imprisons them. It, and I know a lot of times I, I, I've had parents and they're well-meaning. They say, we can't have a playground because the playground has a slide and they climb up the slide and they fall off the slide and they get owies. They dislocate their collarbones. Do you guys remember? I know I got some old folks in here tonight with me. You remember we used to have playgrounds and they were made out of metal things like the metal monkey bars that went up about 10 feet into the air and you just climbed across them, you know? That's when we had, and the slides were, you know, really high and they were made out of that, that stainless shiny steel that really didn't slide at all. It just got a million degrees and you just fried yourself. <laughs> you were wearing shorts that day. It was a bad day, you know. Now, now they got all these safety first kind of playground stuff, you know. I, I, I don't know. But you can imagine. You, you put your kids in there and there's no, there's no stuff in there. Yeah, you say, my kids are safe. Yeah, they're safe, but there's no joy there. But on the other extreme, a family of grace without truth is like a playground without a fence. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of a playground without boundaries. Whether it's how they are playing on the playground, you know, I mean, if you have one of those kids that, you know, like the slide at the park had like the, the little castle top on it and you turn your head one minute and your kid's the one that's hanging onto the, the steeple up there, climbing up there. Yeah, Duncan, I'm thinking of Duncan would probably be doing that, um, you know. But if you have grace without truth, and you don't have that fence, it, that boundary of safety isn't there. It, 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 if you have that fence, it does two things. It keeps those kids from getting in places they ought not be, and it keeps things that shouldn't be in with them from getting in with them. Do you see that truth? Building those things is very important. Now, I would tell you another one, if I could go back and do things differently, I wish I'd have run into Kevin Lehman much earlier. I know we've done a little bit of Kevin Lehman stuff when we did our family night in our Sunday night sizzle this last summer. Um, he wrote the birth order book and so on. I don't agree with him on everything, but I'll tell you, uh, he teaches a form of discipline called reality discipline. And boy, I would have embraced it because it brings together grace and truth. And, and basically the premise of, of, of that discipline approach is make as few rules around your house as possible. I love in his story and I, I couldn't believe this. He, he would tell his teenagers and they say, you know, we're gonna, I'm going out with my friends tonight on a Friday night. You know, let's say they're 16, 17 years old. I'm going out, you know, and, and what time should I be in? He said, my answer to them would be be in at a reasonable hour. No, dad, I want you to tell me what time. No, you know, we've trained you right. Be in at a reasonable hour. Now, you would think, I remember thinking, man, that is not going to work. It did. I remember another one that he told us. You got teenagers in particular. People say, my teenager won't talk to me. My teenager won't talk to me. I remember Kevin Lehman saying, here's what I challenge you to do. If you've got a teenager that won't talk to you, do not ask them a question for three solid days. 
when you pick them up from school, do not say, how was your day at school, hon? Come on, hon, tell me how your day was. How would you like this? How would you like TV? Don't ask them nothing. Give them about three days. And if you have any kind of relationship with them at all, they'll start going, blah, 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 blah. We tried that, and it hasn't stopped, has it, hon? I regret maybe trying it at some times. <laughs> it worked too effectively. I, I, sometimes we just, as parents, we just say, life rules, 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 rules. I would tell you to have as few rules as possible and have reality discipline do its thing. If you want more on that, I'd just refer you to Kevin Lehman. Maybe we'll watch a video sometime. It's really, really effective uh, discipline technique. Um, I, I think my favorite illustration on that one is the kid that never wants to get up and go to school. I love that illustration. You'll probably hear it in a sermon sometimes. Since you guys are the Sunday night crowd, you'll be here anyway. So you'll say, I knew that one. You know, um, if Junior doesn't get up to go to school, quit getting him up. So what do I do? What do I do? Quit getting him up. And then he's going to be late for school. Yes, he will. And this is what you do when he's late for school and gets all mad at you. Why didn't you wake me up? You say, son, I told you to get up on your own, set your arm. You didn't do it. Now you're late for school. Well, I need a note to get in. Okay, you need a note. So you give him a note. Let that kid take the note to school. The note reads something along these lines. Dear Mr. Principal, Junior's late because he just decided to sleep in. Please feel free to apply any discipline that is required as a result of his decision. Detention, whatever it is. And instead of the note, oh, Johnny stayed up late and he couldn't blah, 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 blah. No, quit covering up for him. And I'll guess what? The next day, you don't have to get him up. You know, the sad fact is that a lot of times these same kind of guys, I, I have wives come to me to, t- that, to tell me that they have to get their husbands up for work in the morning. Are you kidding me? And you know where it comes from? Somewhere they had a, they had a little mommy that took care of everything for them that there was not a balance of grace and truth. So sum it all up. How do you stay balanced? Examine your view of God. Is it in line with Scripture? Examine your child at home life. Are you repeating it or rebounding it? And examine what other people are telling you. Is everyone wrong? (laughs) The blessings of wise counsel. Psalm chapter number one. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Amen? Amen. Good stuff. Any questions? I'm curious. We've got five minutes. No? You guys have all been quiet tonight. Note to self, Danny, I need all the talking people. Where are all your talking people? Where's Sarah? She's back there, isn't she? You know, I had Bill. You, you did your best, Bill. I, you know, you, you're doing good. All right. These are... Excellent parenting principles tonight and life principles, really. Uh, and I hope they'll be a blessing and have been a blessing to you. All right, uh, let's, let's pray. We'll be uh, dismissed. Lord, thank you for the teaching reward tonight. Thank you for the principles. We can see that your word is relevant to our, our daily lives. And as we go through life, uh, Lord, what good is it if we don't apply the truth that we know? So help every parent that's represented, every grandparent that's represented in here tonight. Uh, God, help us to rear up a generation that loves you, serves you, and will stand for you. Help us to be people who are balanced with grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, we'll see you later. God bless you. Is there any more pie back?